Welcome to Sexuality After, the place we have real, raw conversations about how sexuality shifts and changes throughout our lives, especially after religion, parenthood, trauma, and loss. I hope by listening to these stories, you're inspired to leave shame behind. Embrace your sexuality wherever it is right now and know that you're not alone in the weird and wild experiences we all go through. Welcome to this episode of Sexuality After. I'm here with Evie Nathan, who is a public speaker, therapist, sex therapist, EMDR practitioner, hypnotherapist, and author of the book, It's Grief, The Dance of Self-Discovery Through Trauma and Loss. Um, She teaches people to dance with their grief, to um, know it as a way to know themselves. And something I saw on your website that I really loved was you mentioned that it's not just loss of a loved one. like That's usually what we think of when we think of grief and loss. But you also mentioned loss of a limb or the loss of the life you once knew. And so I just love that you made it a little bit more holistic. And I'm sure there's a million other ways or reasons why we experience grief. So I really love that you brought that in. Um, Is there anything else about who you are or what you do that you'd like to mention? No, you covered it. You did a great job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, so my, I would say my biggest question, like my biggest burning question, I always start with it, <laughs> is you talk about relationship grief and sexual grief in relationships. And then you also talk about um, little grief and big grief in kind of in connection with relationships. Can you talk about that a little bit and explain to me how you see those things and how you see it play out? I was walking on a, on a path one day and I saw this huge bird and this bird was just stunning. And I, I found um, that the, the name of this bird was a sandhill crane. And this sandhill crane was, was like, oh, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, three or 400 feet away from me. And I looked at it and I, I love nature. I think that nature tells us a lot about ourselves. So one of the things that I really try to do is pay attention to what's around me because that informs how we are in our bodies, how, how we think, right? And <clears throat> so this, this big, beautiful bird, I stopped and I just started to talk to it and it, it, it hopped toward me. And I'm like, wow, this big bird just hopped toward me and there didn't I didn't perceive danger. Instead, I, I actually took a step forward and then it hopped toward me again. And, and then I, I moved a little bit closer. And on the third hop, I realized that one of its legs was missing. Mm-hmm. And this bird was thriving. This bird was existing. This bird did not look disheveled. You know, sometimes animals, birds can look 
when they're hurt, like they're just, their wings are greasy, just like the way we look when we are in a fallen relationship. You know, our hair is greasy. We don't feel like showering. We, we might not even feel like going to work or picking up, a, you know, a phone to, you know, reach out or text or, you know, get onto Facebook. And I realized that, that, that there was a message here. And the message was that, that this bird, against all odds, was thriving in the wild with a missing limb. And that when we lose something, whether it's a relationship, a loved one through death, a lost limb, that we can still thrive. And what kind of superpowers did this bird have to be able to survive? And so it, it, it really got me to thinking about, about surviving, about thriving, and relationships, when we lose a relationship, when there is that grief of, of loss, we go through a hero-shiro journey. And that journey, the journey, you know, is really was written by Joseph Campbell, but, but I take that journey and I, and I really help people move through it because you go into the depths of what he calls the cave. And that cave is where you don't feel like you have any superpowers. You are facing yourself and maybe you're facing other demons as well. When you are in the, the phases of losing a relationship, it is often a time when we want to blame and we want to say, look at what the other did. But instead, what, if, what would happen if we didn't use the energy to focus on the other, yet actually focused on ourselves? Because that loss could inform our next best move in terms of ourselves, in terms of nourishing some parts of us that we, we hadn't yet nourished. And there are gifts in losses. And there's a, there's a design that I use as part of my branding. It's the snake that eats the tail. It's called the Ouroboros, and it's round. And if anybody goes to my website, they'll see it. It's like kind of golden, and it doesn't have to be golden on my website. It happens to be golden. But the idea that it's, it's actually birth and death, and we are always kind of eating our tails and then coming out. So we must kind of take ourselves on in ways, Phoebe, that we never expected we'd have to. And yet, what we get is maybe a better version of ourselves, knowing that we might have to fly missing part of ourselves, but what do we gain? Mm -hmm. Beautiful. How does that play out within, how do you see grief playing out within a relationship? Like while still in a relationship and how does that affect? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm glad that you're naming it grief because it's there, right? And you mentioned in your intro, big grief and little grief. And I believe that we have the big griefs and we have the, I call them the big G's and the little G's, right? And the big G's are, you know, the monumental losses. And those monumental losses um, can be, of course, the death of a loved one, the loss of a, of a marriage, the loss of a relationship, um, illness, you know, a child who is sick, 
and also being in roles that we we got very used to, like being in a caretaker role that is all of a sudden mm-hmm. taken away from us. Okay, so let's say you got into a relationship and the relationship's been going great. Now, the thing about relationships, there are the little G's and when the little G's are not taken care of, guess what happens, Phoebe? They turn into a big G. Right. Because they they pop, it's the seven layer cake. It's what I call the seven layer cake. They just layer and layer and layer and layer. And then all of those flavors good, bad, or indifferent, they mesh together and they just form this big G. If each layer were dealt with, when it comes up, it would be an entire different story. So when we get into a relationship, for example, we have that honeymoon period. Oh, and the honeymoon period, those pheromones are just they're going and we're just so excited we're not hungry we can't think about anything else but that 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 person you know whoever that person is and uh, you're just excited and you're talking maybe to friends or maybe you're keeping it to yourself and you just can't wait for the next moment that you're going to hook up with that with that person right and and then you know the honeymoon phase does does abate it has to because you know those hormones and their those pheromones they 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 they, they can't keep um, mutating and they can't keep you know coming alive and and so then you find what might be like a comfortable resting place but sometimes that comfortable resting place because there's a lack of those those pheromones and and the hormones that are racing inside of you can feel like a deadening and can feel like a grief. And if you you then don't start to like face that and find ways to make the passion alive and m- deal with the things that you're now awake to because in the honeymoon phase everything is perfect. Perfection doesn't really exist, but boy, in the honeymoon phase, it's perfect. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, we're like on a trip and we're not even taking LSD, you know, I mean, it's amazing. So, so the idea here is that now is an opportunity to have a voice, to be able to say, I got to tell you, you know, when you do this, it doesn't feel good. Or actually, um, I, I, I sometimes feel pain when I have sex. Or I know that sometimes I'm having trouble performing and my penis is just not doing what it needs to be doing. And I want to talk about it rather than acting like I'm not interested anymore. Because often that's what men will do, is they will act like it's not a big deal, and they will also shut down. And for women, they may sex may be painful, or they may not be getting as lubricated as they were during the honeymoon phase. And instead of talking about it and trying to find alternatives or making that warm up, a little, a little bit longer because they're not, they're, 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 they're not ready. 
they just stop. Yep. So I want to give some breath around that because I know I just yeah. kind of said a lot. No, that's, yeah, that's good. Do you find that those little G's in a relationship are kind of like grieving a fantasy or, I don't know, I've had a few people that have, they've almost, they've had to like grieve the thought that, oh, if only I met the right person, my life would be perfect. Like relationships this if i get the right relationship then i'll be happy then i will be fulfilled then all my needs will be met then you know and then they get in a relationship and they have to kind of grieve that belief and recognize oh i'm actually responsible for my own happiness and nobody can actually make me happy in that sense like i have to take responsibility i have to Oh, I need to take responsibility for meeting my own needs or communicating my needs. And there's this grieving process around losing that fantasy or a childish belief. Do you find that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And you put it perfectly. There's uh it, it is a sense of loss that that person, whoever that person is who you had that honeymoon phase with, isn't the cure-all. Right. You know, it's he, she, or they are not going to make it all better. And if you dare to face yourself, you know, in part of that hero's journey, like you, we are always going back to the cave if we dare. We can also just go numb, and you know, numbness. My the first phase of, of of grief that I that I talk about is what I call emotional armor, and that emotional armor is the place that we always go to. It's that first place that we go to, and it includes being numb and being distant and being in denial and having some protest around that denial and sometimes getting emotionally over o overwhelmed and it is you know that that emotional armor place that we we go to and sometimes that's exactly where where relationships and people in relationships get stuck is the emotional armor and once the armor is up it's impenetrable unless you're willing to get out of it because it's it's the place where you where you're protecting yourself from from feeling from feeling the pain perhaps of having to face the self as well that actually leads into um, another question i had is for people that have sexual numbness like they can't feel a lot um, in their vulvas or you know they can't feel a lot during sex like physically and sometimes if they really stop and try to feel and notice what comes up is grief and they it's like by numbing themselves emotionally they numb themselves physically and they face like this ocean of sadness or like this is depth of sometimes it's anger sometimes it's grief can you speak to that 
when the body shuts down in that way, we're, we are responding to protect ourselves, right? So when that numbness comes in, first, I, I, I always like to tell people, why don't you thank your numbness? Because it's been protecting you for a very long time. Yeah. Now it's time to have a conversation with it. Okay. Let's, let's talk. Let's, let's, let's actually have a conversation. And that's where some dialoguing comes in where I, uh, you know, asking people to, to kind of write a script between you and your numbness and, and you and your vulva and you're in you and your vagina or you and your penis, because a lot of times men who suffer from erectile dysfunction, there's nothing physically wrong with them. Okay. And I, and I, and I know you asked the question about women and I want to stay on that, but I just really, you know, this, this conversation is genderless. And what I mean by that, it's, it's not gender specific. Okay. It is really, you know, men and women within any of our, you know, cisgender community or the LGBTQ community face, face these, these monumental issues of shutdown. And so though the honeymoon phase is great and there's, there's not that numbness there's there after the honeymoon phase, often people will go to that numbness and then, then the numbness again is the protection. And so you don't feel anything. And it, 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 it is the work of getting acquainted with your vulva. It is the work of getting acquainted with your vagina, which then is going back into the cave and saying, okay, <clears throat> vagina. Okay, vulva, I want to get to know you and I want you to get to know me. And I want you to know I'm not going to take you to places that are not safe. I'm not going to take you to places that you don't want to go. And yet I want you to know vulva and vagina that I want to start having good sex. And I want to feel something when I'm having sex. So we've got to we've got to be in consort here to have this conversation. Yep. Love it. And to start to listen. And if you have a partner, to allow them to listen with you at times, which means that maybe there is exploration with simple touching that doesn't have a goal in mind of penetration, whatever penetration is for you, because for everyone, again, penetration looks different. So I'm not going to name exactly what penetration is. And for, you know, those folks in your audience who are listening, and you, I believe you will understand what I mean if, if it's, you know, because it may not be, you know, penetration vaginally, and it may not be penetration, you know, with a penis, it could be penetration with a dildo. So I just, I, 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 this conversation has got to be very open around that. Okay. Yes. My relationship with my body changed entirely when I met my vulva and vagina that way. Um, I've, you know, done guided meditations to meet her and talk to her. And I now have like an ongoing relationship with her and it's, a back and forth and it radically shifted everything for me really and i love that you brought out um that this whole conversation is 
genderless really like these things happen and they and the they work for everybody and um and they work differently for everybody okay yeah Yeah. so the idea of oh i'm gonna talk to my vulva or (laughs) my vulva you know it can be very foreign and terrifying and right okay and and so the conversation because you know a lot of times uh, as women, we like to pretend that there's nothing down there. <laughs> right. Okay. So true. <laughs> okay. And especially if you come from a trauma background or you come from a background where you are only supposed to know that there's something else down there other than for you to relieve yourself and urinate. Exactly. That that, you know, it's down there. And so the first thing is, oh, there's more down there than just me being able to relieve myself. Okay. So that's like a first step. Which can be huge. Yes. And terrifying in itself. If you've been taught your whole life that there's just a down there. (laughs) A down there. Yes. That's right. That's right. And... In some communities where sex is really poo-pooed, not allowed until marriage, and you must wait for potential even self-exploration and everything about your sexual organs is dirty and you get the sense of dirty, then your first relationship may be may need to be with having a conversation with dirty and with the powers that made you think that way. And it's a brain shift. So we're not just asking the body to do things. Phoebe, we really can't have this conversation unless we also talk about the brain and, 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 and the neural system within the brain where trauma exists. And the the grief conversation and the trauma conversation really go hand in hand. So if you're traumatized, you're grieving because there's a loss. And your brain, all of those wonderful neural pathways in your brain, and if, 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 if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, so the brain is one of your greatest allies. And I think think about the brain as kind of a wonderful, brilliant octopus with all of these legs. And all of those legs, each leg is like a tentacle, and the tentacle has all of these 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 feelings and emotions and they're just alive with with inspiration and and with shame and with guilt and with joy and with love and when we are given the negative messages guess what those tentacles are far reaching and they like to plant themselves so heavily and this is the the work of the brain to be able to say, I'm not going to give that neural pathway, that tentacle power anymore. I'm going to start to just not feed it. So it kind of starves a little bit, but I'm going to tell it what I'm doing so that other neural pathways can actually form. And I use the octopus because what's brilliant about the octopus, when the octopus like loses one of their tentacles, it grows back. And that's what happens in the brain. There's a growing that happens. So 
um, there, that's why I believe that people can change. That's why I believe that people can have that, this changing conversation with their penis, with, with, with their vulvas, with their vaginas. Yes. Beautiful. Um, we are talking about numbness. It made me think about um, Bernie Brown. I don't know if you're familiar with her work or not. Oh, but I adore Brene Brown's work. Nah, <laughs> you and I both. <laughs> she talks about how you can't selectively numb. So if you numb um, your grief or your um, sadness or your anger, you also numb your joy and your pleasure to kind of the same extent. Do you agree with that or how do you see that? It's (laughs) when people are numbing themselves or they come from trauma or they, they, and, and I really, I use trauma. I use grief as my umbrella because underneath grief, I see that the, I see the anger. I see, I see anxiety. I see um, rage and role confusion and grace. So I'm always using the umbrella of, of, of grief as a, as a, as a product of what helps us, what gets us to our anger. And it is, it is, it is something that we have lost. It is something that we are, are struggling with and so I, I kind of look at, at, at the issues that we face, even, you know, mental health issues, sexual issues, as always going around the grief paradigm. So I just wanted to kind of lay that out. And when someone is numb, yeah, they are, there is a numbing. But there's also this ability, I believe, because we're really smart, to act as if. And to act as if we're experiencing joy. And we may actually believe that there is part of us that is experiencing joy, and yet it is not in its fullness. It is not in its glory. So that we are acting as if, because what we map, we've mapped, oh, this is what joy or this is what a smile looks like. So I can put on a smile and it's the mask. And one of the things that I, I talk a lot about in, in, in the book is our masks. And we have so many different masks and they're great. You know, they're, they're the roles that we play. There's, you know, the mask that I, that I have kind of when I come on here and it's that mask and it's that role. And then, and then there's the role and mask that I might have with my husband and, and the mask that I have when I, when I'm walking my dog and I, or when I meet a stranger or, or my mask when I decide that I'm going to be, you know, a little sexually kinky or whatever it is. So we are always changing up our roles or, or the masks that, that we have and they're not necessarily derogatory however sometimes we put on the mask and the best example i have is when when we're grieving and we don't want to talk about it and we don't want anybody in our inner sanctum around it and someone says so how are you doing i'm fine everything's good yeah. that's a mask right so i agree and yet i also see that we know how to switch it up, even if it's not completely felt. Yeah. 
So what I hear you saying is that our masks, like it's not always a bad thing. We, that it can be a really positive and an amazing ability that we have really to switch masks. Oh yeah. Where it might become in our way or prevent us from living a full life is if we don't or can't take a mask off and then it's just always there. Like we're always numbing out or we're always, we always have this mask of it. It's just fine. And then we think that the mask is our face. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, that's, that's right. So it's the, I'm fine. And then the people around you map that she, he, you know, that you're fine. You know, you're fine. And they stop asking. And you're not, you're craving for some, some, something real. And yet the mask of I'm fine, that protection is, is so potent for you that you never really, you, I don't, I, I, you, you, it's much harder to get to what you need. Yeah. And can you wear a mask with yourself? Hmm. So it's a it's a good question and of course we can it's it's what you don't want to look at or what you don't want to see right and it's it's and it and and you can you know have many many different you know i use mask but it's 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 just a switching up of roles of who we are at any given time and if we go back to sex and 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 having you know that post honeymoon period and you continue to have sex and yet sex becomes painful and you don't say anything then what you're doing is you're putting on a mask you're acting like everything is fine you don't let your partner know that pain that sex is painful and um and then it builds and builds and builds until finally your vagina completely shuts down or, you know, or your penis stops working because you, you actually have been feeling um, unseen by your partner in other ways. And that doesn't come out, but it comes out in, in, you know, through, through, you know, our, our sexual beings. Mm -hmm. I see you thinking. Yeah. There's like so many ways I want to take this conversation. <laughs> yeah, I could talk about this stuff for hours and hours. Um, <laughs> so, okay. So do you see, I would really, I'd really love to hear a little bit about, like you are, you work with grief a lot and you're also a sex therapist. I would love to hear like, how did that come about? And also, um, you know, do you see, this might be the same story or a different story, but what connections, if any, do you see between grief and sexuality? Like how do those play in together? So yeah, that might be part of your story or they might be kind of two separate things that you juggle. 
I pause because the depth of, of what happens when someone walks in and they think they're coming in for one thing, like their lives feel disorganized, they're not able to have a good relationship, um, they're feeling depressed and anxious, their anxiety is through the roof, and they just want some help. And, and yet, what's just walked into the room is grief, but no one's labeled it. Yeah. Okay, and it is, and actually Brene Brown really talks about this, um, is the importance of labeling what is going on. Because if you don't label it, you don't, um, you don't have anywhere to go. It just feels kind of amorphous and it's just kind of hanging out there. And we've got our buzzwords and our buzzwords. Oh, I've got anxiety or I've got relationship difficulties or, you know, um, just these obstacles are just overwhelming. And it's like, well, now, wait a minute. Hold on. What are you yearning for? So when someone comes into my office, Phoebe, I'm not asking them to tell me their story. Not yet, because they don't know me and it's not safe to tell me their story. And they're very surprised when I say, you know what? I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear your story. I want to hear what you're yearning for. I want to hear what makes you happy. I want to hear if, if nothing makes you happy right now, when was a time that you laughed so hard that you peed in your pants or someone just made you giggle or something happened that brightened you? Because those questions aren't asked. And then there's a timeline. And that timeline that, you know, I want people to look at is for, for, for men and women, what was your first sexual experience and what happened? For, for women, tell me about when you got your period. Tell me your period story. Because I, I really want to hear the period story because that could set the stage for... <laughs> down there okay that could set the stage for oh you know like i i it was not good um i didn't know anything about it and i thought i was dying um because my mom didn't tell me about it or i was in foster care and somehow like it just kind of happened and some girl next to me said oh well that's what's happening and you're not dying and here use this. And so, you know, the stories, those stories implicate how we uh, rationalize our down there or how we, how we love our, our vaginas and our vulvas or for men, that first sexual experience and what happened for them. Were they so excited that they prematurely ejaculated and that sets a story? So the grief to me is, is, you know, in our lifeline and it starts in utero probably, and I don't know about the data, but how those pregnant women talked to those in utero babies so just a little story about me, like my, my mom, um, 
who I loved and had a difficult relationship with, um, shared with me that she felt embarrassed about being pregnant. And so there was a shame story about being pregnant, around being pregnant with me. <clears throat> and so when I came into the world, I think that I had some of that, that shame that I, that I was born with already something that I had to work through that wasn't mine, but became mine. And, it, you know, shame is, is different than guilt. Shame is a shame for who you are, mm -hmm. whereas guilt is for what you do, what you've done, right? So, so we sometimes battle messages that we don't even know necessarily where they come from. Uh, and and utilizing you mentioned hip, hypnosis. Sometimes I will help people go back into the womb because our sexual grief and our sexual stories start there. So, am I correct in hearing that um, our sexuality and our grief are very intertwined? that our grief about life and also the big G experiences, big traumatic experiences that cause grief highly affect our sexuality. And most people don't realize it when they come in. They just come in with anxiety or inability to feel during sex or problems in their relationship and that you see that it is often grief of one kind or another that causes that. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't always play out sexually. Okay. I would say though, if we go again with the idea of the numbness, if you're numb in one place, you're numb everywhere. And if you are hit with trauma and, you know, look, sexual abuse, which we have not mentioned, you know, it can, you know, change the entire life of someone and their ability to be in the world, period. Yeah. Much less ha ha allowing themselves to, to, to have sex, but just a, a complete cut, shutdown and cut off just completely cut off completely i cannot make any moves and um and those those are the 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 stories from you know from from the darkest of of places and those people sometimes just get stuck you know in moving from what was an ordinary life into the cave and they're they're kind of forever stuck in the depths of their shadows and 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 their negative messaging and their fear and their grief and their trauma and their nervous system is is just always in you know flashing red danger 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 and the goal of of any of these processes is to go from danger 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 shut down numb to moving back into a green light let's let's move let's let's allow ourselves to to live again yeah 
And, you know, is it, is it, does it come out sexually? Yes. Does it come out in the choices that we make, even with the partners that we, that we choose, you know, we, we come from, you know, there's the statistics are, are just in, in many, many, many articles, you know, if you grew up with sexual abuse or you grew up with physical abuse, there's a really good chance that you may be a physical abuser or you may hurt another because you're, that's how fractured your brain is. And the goal is to be the interrupter, to be cognitive and behavioral interrupters, which is like interrupting what's going on in the brain, interrupting the thought process, you know, interrupting the behavior. Yeah. Is it the same process um, when people are so deeply in their shadows and in their cave that it's hard to even move a little bit, even to live in the world. Is it the same process out of that cave that it is out of the cave of, you know, sexual numbness or um, like a, a hiding place within your relationship where you're not actually being seen and being, you know, fully who you are? Or is it kind of always the same? process to move to move more into your fully thriving self and if so what is that process in your view so the cave is it's it's a process so it's not just that you land in the cave you you, you know if we if we if we go through the hero's journey the Shiro hero journey, you start with your ordinary life. That could just be, you know, you were born and you, you know, you, you, as you are moving through your ordinary life, you have challenges. And when you, when you face a first challenge and a second challenge, if it, if it, if it, if it is overwhelming or if it takes you to a place of, you know, your ordinary self can't really exist anymore. That is when it, it's a place of no return. You go into that cave and the cave is where the work of the shadow and the shadow is the things that you don't want to look at, but it is really the place also where you take yourself on. And it is, again, it is cyclical. It is not a place necessarily of hiding. I think, I think that the cave is, you can, you know, you can only hide there for so long before the work of the shadow comes in and says, you know, either do your work or get out, you know? Um, and the, the cave is not protection. It's intense work. It's where you, you strip down to your base self, to your naked self and you behold yourself and you look in the mirror or you look in the mirror with your with your parent or with who you lost or the emotions that you do not want to look at. And those shadows, which I also talk a lot about in my book through the archetypes, you know, the archetypal mother, the archetypal father, we take on those, again, those roles. And, you know, there is the good mother and then there is the shadow mother that can be cruel. And, 
you know, it's, it's in the Wizard of Oz, we say, you know, there's the good witch and there's the, you know, the bad witch. And yet the bad witch, you know, became the bad witch because crap happened, you know, and maybe the good witch isn't as good as we would like to think she is. And, you know, and so it's, 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 it's really being able to, to go naked into that cave. It's not hiding. It's a stripping down and it's a looking when you're hiding. Hmm. It's, it's not that cave-like structure. It may very well be before you enter the cave, it's the resistance. Mm. It's the, I don't want to go there. I'm not going to go there. There's no way I'm going there. Mm. And I am going to stay here and I'm going to, to shrink and, and be taken into quicksand. And I can't access my powers, my superpowers, and it is only after you go into the cave that the superpowers, the ability to pivot, come in. So it's being in the cave and facing yourself and facing your experiences that help you come out of the cave and into your thriving, yeah, connected it is, self. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And, and then, you know, you, you also begin to pick out your allies. You begin to say, who do I want to have with me? And who do, who, 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 I, who don't I want on the, my journey anymore? And it is, talk about grief. It is letting go and it is welcoming in. And, you know, the, we, I, I feel like we can't really have this conversation unless we do bring up where we've been in the last 18 months or however long it's been, this pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. And what we've learned during this pandemic, perhaps about ourselves sexually, but also who, who are we? Like, I learned that though I'm an extrovert, I'm, I'm really an introvert. Like, I am really okay being home. I mean, I was traveling and on planes and going to conferences and and I was gone probably twice a month for three to five days every every, twice a month and it's like I can be here with my husband and I can be here with my dog Ziggy and we can all hang out and I can you know shorten my day a little bit and I don't have to be on the subways and the trains and going to my office and not getting home until nine and not eating until 10. Now I can eat at 8 30 and it's like whoa this is something else and not realizing that maybe there was a loss of intimacy that I hadn't even noticed. Mm. And my husband saying to me Wow, Edie, I I didn't know what it was like to have you greet me when I walked in the door. Mm. Because he was the one who was always greeting me right. and had dinner. And what a gift it was for me to be able to say, I got dinner ready and I have soup. And and so did that again shift? Yeah. Did I then need to like realize, oh, this new ordinary and it's a new ordinary. People talk about a new normal. I don't love the new normal because there's nothing normal about this. And I'm not going back to anything I knew. This is a new ordinary. Yeah. And so you come out of that cave of taking, I had to go into the cave and I had to reckon with myself. And I had to actually say, I think there are some people who I don't want on my journey anymore. 
And that's okay. I mean, I can be friendly and nice, but I don't want them on my journey anymore because there's a whole other world. And what's happened is expansion and creating new relationships and that realizing our pivot needs a pivot. And that's, uh, you know, a, a conversation starter from a friend of mine, Larry Kay, our pivot needs a pivot. And we started actually a, a whole new idea called the pivot quest and creating rants. And so what comes out of all of this is maybe we need to have rants in our relationships about what we want sexually. Here's my, here's my 90 second rant on what I want. And you can just take it and, you know, and, and let's have fun with this. Let's have a rant. Let's have a 90 second rant. And I want, and you can put kink in there, or I want you to tie me up, or I want you to just sit and stroke me without anything transactional. So, you know, this time has truly been taking look, taking a look and grieving and mourning who we were for sure. And maybe the gift, because there's a gift, you know, it is that Ouroboros of renewal, renewal and, and life and birth. And with every loss, there's a gift. And what are those gifts? And maybe the gift is I got to stay home and spend more time with my husband than I ever have in 20 years. How about that? How about I got to introduce myself to my vulva and my vagina? I got to introduce myself to masturbation. I got to realize that I can't be in this marriage. I got to realize that my husband has been having affairs for the last 35 years. I got to realize that I actually want to try polyamory. You know, whatever someone's language is, I got to realize that I want to be with women and not with men anymore. I got to tell my family that I'm gay or that I'm trans and that I actually am transitioning and whoever wants to be there with me on the journey, okay. And I understand if you can't. And talk about grief, it's right there. Talk about the gift, it's right there. That's really beautiful. I just love that. Um, just that concept that grief is there often in our lives, but so is the gift. So is the joy, the coming more into ourselves. We're often afraid of we're often afraid of loss. Um, Brene Brown talks about foreboding joy and how when we do have something amazing and magical, somebody that we love so deeply, that it comes with this fear of loss. Like, um, you know, you look at your partner or your child and you think, I have never loved someone so much. And then at the same time, it's like, what if something happens to them? Is there a way to 
just feel the joy? Or is there a way to become comfortable with the idea of loss so that we can embrace the risk and embrace the possibility that, yeah, something could happen so that we can feel the full amount of joy. It's, it seems as if you're asking the question, can we prepare ourselves for loss? And so in, in the preparation for, for a potential loss, we bring it in to the love feeling the emotion that we have that feels so gripping as a way to mitigate the intensity of the feeling. Yet, I wonder how present we are with that feeling if we're thinking about something that is foreboding but has not yet happened and may not happen in this relationship. So what does it do to project and think about something that has yet to happen? And how does it take away from the presence of being in the moment of loving someone so deeply? And does the mind go there of, I make, what, what would I do if I lost this child, this love, this, <laughs> this, this life? Does, does that thinking actually impede true presence? Totally, I think. Yeah, I do too. So then is the question, do I need to prepare for this grief? Or how can I be more present and just be in my, be with myself and with my love object in this moment? Because those thoughts interrupt me from being present. And I wonder why I need to be interrupting this feeling. Right. Like I see that playing out in the people I talk to as well, that it'll come up like, I don't want to be fully vulnerable or fully intimate with my partner because they might leave me Mm -hmm. or I've never been in a relationship where someone treats me this well before. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't sit right because I'm afraid it might not last or Yeah, like I mentioned too, like um, I can't fully enter into the love I have for my child because I'm afraid that they, something might happen to them. Like there's this kind of, it's like we have to accept 
the risk of loss, not prepare for loss necessarily, but like nothing in life is for sure, really. And life is change. And so we have to accept that loss can and does happen in order to fully enter into the love and the joy that we feel. Certainly the experiences that precede any love relationship inform how we respond within that relationship. <clears throat> so if we've had prior losses or we've, we've lost a partner, um, it's not a divorce, it's not a separation, but a partner has died, it, there may be as you go, as you, as you prepare yourself for the invitation of meeting another and potentially loving another, that you could also lose that person. And yet, we have um, a healthy denial of death and of loss. And, it, and it's important because if we were thinking about it all the time, we'd be nuts. I mean, we're already kind of crazy enough to add in, I'm thinking about death and loss and grief all the time it would, is, is, is crazy making for sure. Okay. Um, so what, what, what would happen if those folks who are saying, you know, I'm going into this, but I'm not going to give myself fully because I'm afraid that this person will die or this person will leave me, then you're never fully in. And that's, that can be informed by trauma and grief stories that didn't find a grace within your body a place of landing, a place of integration, a place where maybe there needs to be a forgiveness for what you lost, or maybe there needs to be that repatterning within your brain that has yet to happen. And, you know, to give oneself fully, you know, I don't exactly know what that means because it doesn't mean fused. It means... I, I have myself and you have yourself. There are parts of us that come together and we might share parts of a house, but we still have our own foundations. Mm -hmm. So when someone says, I'm afraid to give myself fully, wow, then what is their grief story? What is their trauma story? And how does the holding back protect them? So foreboding joy, the way you see it, like foreboding joy comes from a place of unintegrated trauma. Or unintegrated grief. Hmm. So a lot of a lot of people around the grief conversation and trauma conversation especially grief, talk about acceptance, talk about, oh, you know, I'm just going to accept this and 
I guess one of the things that sets me apart from the conversation that many, many of my colleagues have and who I really respect is this notion of acceptance. Um, I really, I think that oftentimes when we say accept that, that the, the conversation around it is it's okay. It's fine. I'm okay. I accept this. And I, I don't, I don't know that, that acceptance is something that I think is the best way to frame what someone who is in the latter part of their grief dance, um, where they land. I'd like to think that where they land is, a, is, is more of an integrative place where they've integrated the loss to a degree where it's still there. The grief is there. It doesn't just go away. You know, I think that like, it's, it's like acceptance is, is almost like saying it's akin to, oh, it's fine. And I'm now, I have now moved on. It doesn't seem that we really move on. You know, when, when I'm losing my, my parents and, and losing my, my, my partner when I was 27 years old, who, you know, I, I, I don't, it, 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 I will never forget my grief around those losses. Am I in an active state of mourning with them? No. The, the grief will always be alive within me. It just doesn't take me down. I dance with it. I move with it. I honor it when, when it comes in. And it can come in in the most ridiculous times. I'm walking down a street and all of a sudden someone walks by me and there's this perfume in the air and it's just wafting through the air. And it's like, it's my mother's scent. And it's like, boy, I am right there with my mom even though she's been gone for, you know, 20, 20 years. And it's like, oh, thank you. And I feel that. So it's not an acceptance. It's a, I'm dancing with it. And I've partner, partnered with it. And the dance that I do with it is always changing. Yeah, I think you've explained that really well, what you mean by integrating as opposed to accepting. And I don't have a huge amount of experience with big G experiences at this point in my life, but the experience that I do have has shown me that, yes, like there's never a point where it's like, I'm done grieving forever. I'm good now. <laughs> it's very cyclical, like you said, and it kind of comes up. And it can come up in different so many ways. different ways. Yeah. Um, but I just have a few questions that I'd like to end with. Absolutely. What has been the most surprising thing about sex or sexuality that you've learned as you've gotten older? That I can still be surprised by pleasure. And that pleasure changes over time. And what was pleasurable may not continue to be pleasurable. Yet the journey of finding what is pleasurable and what can be pleasurable is really exciting. Mm -hmm. 
sounds very fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah. It's <laughs> just continue to be curious because as our bodies change, what worked, you know, 10 years ago might not work. And yet, wow, it's like, I just found this new lube or whatever it is. And, and now we can play with that. And it is really just keeping the conversation open, not closing doors wherever you are in the life cycle of your sexuality and you're coming out. Yeah. I think a lot of people, if something that felt pleasurable, that they really like stops feeling that way so much, they go more into I'm broken or there's something wrong with me instead of exploring new things and just getting curious about like what else could feel good. That's right. And, you know, curiosity is also our brain at work completely. So definitely. Yeah. And what is one myth about sex or sexuality that you would love to debunk? That there's a right way and a wrong way. (laughs) Hells yes. Can you say more about that? You know, not every buddy is the same. And one person's joy or desire or sexual fulfillment is not another's. And so there's there's not a, a right way as long as you're not unduly hurting another without their permission, you know? So listen, if you have a partner who wants to engage in kink and you're right there, and you create your contract, great. And it's an agreement. And, you know, if if you agree that you don't want penetration and your partner is on board, great. That's great. So there's no right or wrong. That it's, you know, again, as long as you are not hurting another or you're not... Um, hurting someone else without their consent (laughs) like you pointed out earlier (laughs) and um that children are protected at all costs yeah absolutely i think right right and wrong well that's kind of another big conversation but shame appears there a lot It, it, it it does you know, because of the way that we think we are or the messages that we got about who we are, right? Yeah. I think with sexuality, I have the same boundaries you do. It's One is it's consensual. Whatever it is, I don't care at all if it's consensual and that children are protected. At all costs. Yeah. Um, if you were in my shoes, what is, what question would you have asked you that I have not? Can people change at any age? Mm. Love it. All right. And yes, they can. 
and we write narratives that are maybe safe and confining. And safety is always what we want. Confining is um, when we kind of have our emotional armor up and uh, there are people who get married for the first time when they're 75. It is never too late to shift and to change and to open oneself up to confronting their demons, to facing their shadows, and to experiencing love, whatever that is, and sexual freedom. Uh, my last question is, what is one thing you wish you knew about sex or sexuality as a teenager? If you could go back in time and teach yourself something, what would it be? When, when I was, um, when I was growing up, I, I was pretty badly bullied and, uh, I thought that if I could be a really good lover or I could be a really good kisser, that it would be a way to make the demons of the bullies go away. And I would tell that younger self that that's not true. And that sex and being sexual and using it to make the demons or the grief or the trauma dissipate doesn't usually work. But coming home to the self and dealing with the shadows and not giving power to the bullies anymore does. Very well put. That is an amazing place to end. Thank you so much. This was very expanding and beautiful and rich conversation. Thank you so much for sharing yourself and your wisdom with my listeners and with me. Thank you. I, I enjoyed sharing this conversation with you. It was a pleasure. Yeah. You can find Edie at edynathan.com, E-D-Y-N-A-T-H-A-N.com. You can also find her on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at edynathan, and on Twitter at edynathan1. Her book is called It's Grief, The Dance of Self-Discovery Through Trauma and Loss. Thank you for listening to and subscribing to Sexuality After. A new episode comes out every second Tuesday. You can watch these podcasts as well on my YouTube channel, Tea with Phoebe D. 
And if you have a story to share, I'm always open and excited to have more amazing conversations. So please contact me via my information in the episode notes. If you want to find out more about me and my coaching, you can find me on the aforementioned YouTube channel or www.phoebed.com. If you want to know more about my interviewee or the things we talked about in this podcast, check out the episode notes on your podcast app. I hope you accept and love your humanity and sexuality a bit more after listening to this episode. See you in two weeks.